No, but his point was just how stupid he looked, and he's like, he doesn't mind looking stupid or any of those uh, sorts of things. A good you know? trait for being an investor. Yeah, and related to that, yeah. Weird. What Monish say? Have you gotten to that part yet? Yeah, I read his. They go to India together and look at the foundation stuff and things that he does, but, you know, it, um, yeah, it's that, and him talking about things, talking about uh, the meeting with Buffett and those sorts the of things. The dinner? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's all stuff you've heard before, but it's just slightly different context, you know? Interesting. Well, the mics are hot right now. So what's this book we're talking about? <laughs> uh, I don't remember the name of it. You got to look it up on Amazon because it, it just came out. So right, let's see. So Jeff's talking about a new book that he just downloaded yesterday at yeah. midnight. And this is a book uh, I actually came recently, out, I Present Future, Business, okay. Science, and the Deep Tech Revolution. I just downloaded that yesterday too. Um, uh, is it Michael Green, you said? No. Is it William Green? What's his William name? William Green? I, Let's see how close I got to his name. No, that's not. No, no E. Try that. Oh, yeah. There we go. So there we go. Richer, wiser, happier. Yeah. There it is. Yeah, that is. Yeah, yeah I've seen this on Twitter. It almost drives me crazy that now some things are sponsored that aren't relevant to your content. Uh-huh. You know that? Yeah. Do you ever, I don't, know, I, I don't right. know to look away from it sometimes, so I'm like, oh, why can't yeah. I find what I search for? It knows what I search it for. It just wants thing. to do an ad. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, yeah, you download on your Kindle. So, Jeff yeah. said that he's read, he's started reading this book at midnight last night, and he enjoys it so far. Richard it's everything Wiser that... Happier. So, you can look at the table contents, maybe. So, maybe it lists the... I don't know if it does, but I hope it lists the... If you scroll down, uh, hopefully it lists... Maybe sh- nope. Doesn't scroll out. Uh, yeah. Okay. Let's. No, it's just praise. All okay. right. Well, their profiles are different investors. I know there's Templeton. There's Pabri. Um, and like I said, it's kind of like him. What you get is sort of like as if it's the behind the scenes of uh, an of someone doing a magazine profile. So these are basically people he probably profiled for magazines. But what I was saying is it's slightly different because he. he the way that he writes it is more like if you ever read those magazine articles where they talk about going to the person's office or house or whatever, what it looks like, the behind the scenes of it and stuff, not just taking out their quotes, you know? So this is normally, you know, which would be condensed down to some article probably for Forbes or Fortune. I recognize this guy. This guy did another book on investors. Yeah. The Great Minds of Investing. That's This This is is like a great like table book. Which I don't have, right? Because it's not on Kindle. Yeah, I, so I don't either. So for all it's I know, $100. this could be like the exact same content, right? Because I've never read The Great Minds of But I know like Bill Ackman was profiled in this book. Okay, so... And this came out a couple years ago. Probably more than that, five UK, years ago. Though, the author's uh, UK, right? There's a problem with your Prime membership pay method. <laughs> but yeah, look at... So yeah, yeah, Howard Marks. They're foreclosing on us. Our partner should be listening to this. Yeah. Howard Marks. Yeah. yeah. Mario so Capelli. I like those sorts of things, those profile things. Like I said, uh, actually, I'm a big fan of books like uh, The Money Masters and all those things. Because then once you find some things about it, you learn about it. Yeah. Uh, a particular investor, then you can go and find the specific stuff about them, like the bigger books about them or the other content that there is. So it's a good way to find out about a lot of different ones. Interesting. Yeah. So I got to read that book. And it's available on Kindle and like a normal price and stuff, right? Yeah, it's 14 bucks. Yeah. Perfect. So check out that book. It's a new investing book. Uh, welcome, welcome, welcome. This is our free form podcast. So we're just yeah. free forming it. If this is the first time you're tuning in, hit the subscribe button. Follow me on Twitter. Check out all the content that we provide. Email me questions in uh, this um, uh, content form. We answer questions from listeners. It tends to be a little bit less structured, just kind of let our curiosity drive uh, the 
podcast and answering questions from our listeners. It's a lot of fun. You can email me info at Focus Compounding or follow me on Twitter at Focus Compound and DM me any questions that you have. Uh, so Jeff was just talking about a book, like I said, and we yeah. like to talk about books in this podcast segment uh, just to really go through, you know, what we're going through, what, what we're currently seeing, what we're currently working on and just stuff that's on our mind, right? A lot of the episodes that we do are more timeless things. Right. Um, so this is fun this to is talk about more timely things mm-hmm. and what better to go over for something that's timely than um, there's a single New Jersey deli doing 35,000 yeah. in sales. Uh, Focus Compounding is doing more than that. Uh, valued at 100 million in the stock market. Should we go public? That's what I really wanted to know. Yeah. Should I think we, we should. Public? This is the time to do it. Well, we just need a, um, what do we need for this one? Is it a Chinese uh, one or is it, is this some thinking of something else? This is literally a, a suspicious New share- Jersey. Yeah. The suspicious shareholder situation though, right? Let me see. Uh, well, yeah, it's like a, a gym teacher and it's well, teachers that, that, or something. that part I know, but if you look at the 10 K, oh, here we go. They might tell us who owns the shares and stuff. Nope. Let's see. So the company sold two and a half million shares last year and has about 60 total shareholders, according to a filing. Hometown reported more than 600,000 expenses last year, up from about 154,000 in 2019. The company also reported a net cash gain of 2.2 million from financing activities, such as selling stocks. That's profitable business, Jeff. Um, Let's see. Einhorn's highlighting of hometown comes as politicians, regulators, and high-profile investors have publicly fretted about the boom in certain type of stocks over the past year. Yeah. Let's see. So it's like a shell type thing. I don't know what the what it is here, but what I read um, mentioned a connection to someone. Here you go. Oh, the yeah, largest shareholder is also the CEO, CFO, treasurer, right. and a director who also happens to be the wrestling coach of the high school next door to the deli. The pastrami must be amazing, <laughs> Einhorn said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't see anything about any sort of Weird no, then maybe I read a different article about it. This is, people are probably reading this in all sorts of different places because it was Einhorn that singled it out, right? So yeah. it, so this kind of thing gets, you know, because of that media things read it. And so now they look it up and they see this, but there are different companies like this. People mm-hmm. sometimes talk to me about a company and it doesn't make any sense. And then I look it up and um, we see what the connection is. Mm-hmm. So, so it's been falling a little bit, 83 million. It was a hundred million when he wrote about it. Let's get the balance sheet. They're all going to be basically zero. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's crazy. Is uh, it? How are the companies even public that way? Yeah, but that's the problem because then you can create sort of shells for things by having public companies that are that small. Um, when there's no substance to them. I mean, that's if if that's not dot com, like I don't know what is. Yeah, there's different rules that you so this wouldn't meet the rules to get exempted from it. And I mean, my own view is the SEC shouldn't allow trading in any of those things that can't meet those requirements. But basically, the requirements are like you know you have to either have some meaningful amount of assets, or you have to have turned a profit, or you have to mm-hmm. you know so some way to prove that this isn't just a hundred percent a shell, right? We understand that people sometimes want to speculate on things like early days of Tesla, they're losing money and stuff, but it's a big enterprise. It's a real thing. And so you want things that don't make money to go public, but you don't want things that don't have assets and don't have um, uh, earnings and stuff to be out there because then you're just, they're just pieces of paper that will eventually merge with other things or be used as currency to manipulate stuff or, you know, just any of that. It's been a 10 bagger. What do we talk about doing 10 baggers and focusing on all these other things? October yeah. 25th, 2019 was a dollar 25. Per share, now it's $10.77. Yeah. 
wild. It's not good for whoever that Einhorn mentioned. Yeah. No, I mean, even as a micro cap at $10 million, what's that? You know, <laughs> that's it's overvalued at $10 million. Yeah. At 35,000 sales and nothing else. Yeah. Um, so obviously with the SPAC things and all that, there's lots of strange stuff going on um, with companies. And, you know, he singled that out. I try never to mention uh, companies like that that have mm-hmm. strange things going on there. It's and just so weird. You get requests from a lot of people a lot of times. And I'm like, there, there seems like some sort of fraudulent thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. Sure. It's odd. I mean, even you look at, I mean, not to single anybody out, but like taking advantage of the times or whatever. So I think, and I'm going to butcher the numbers, but Mark Cuban sold broadcast.com to Yahoo for whatever it was, 2.4 billion. And I remember I looked up to see how much revenue they were doing. And I mean, clearly it was, they benefited from the times. Um, and I believe he did a hedge on it, right? He did. So that was the part that was interesting. He yeah. knew that it was a bunch of BS, right? Where he said that he would, he went around and, tell, and told like old employees, so, everything right. like that too. Sometimes you're not allowed to hedge when if... Is that more of a modern thing? It's more of a... Um, I thought that was a newer rule. I'm not sure though. I don't know that there's a rule. There is a rule about it? I thought if you're like an executive at a company, I don't know. I know that in some cases you thought there were people who were specifically asked, even during that same time period, late nineties, for instance, I can think of a couple of people who were specifically asked not to hedge. Uh-huh. Um, the ones I'm thinking of were a lot more famous though. You know, I mean Mark Ewan's famous now. So they were selling out a business and joining the board, and it was asked that they not hedge it. So many companies, if you read their proxy statements, do require it's interesting. I'd say most public companies you read about who are on an exchange do require that their directors and executives who own shares in the company not hedge the shares or use derivatives to yeah. have the effect of hedging it. But they do allow them to pledge the shares. Um, and some of them don't have like any sort of things with that. And actually, but if anything, pledging shares has been a big problem. But yeah, in the 1920s and stuff, people shorted their own stock. You know, So that's always been a concern. But that's why you have the insider trading stuff. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if someone was hedging, you could see, well, I guess you couldn't see derivative stuff. So this is broadcast. Yeah. 1998, total revenues, 22 million. Um, obviously burning a ton of cash. I mean, type of business they were doing and just, yeah, burning about 11 and a half million in cash. Um, sold for two point whatever billion. And yeah, mm-hmm. he said that he told uh, employees, people that made a lot of money from this transaction to, you know, collar it off. This is pretty crazy. Right. Hedge it off and stuff like that. And he's talked about it too, where he obviously everything that he owned in the stock basically went to nothing, but the, the hedge is like more than made up for it. Yeah. And this is the problem. I can't remember what I was reading and it was talking about having to do that for people. What book was it? Designing things for that purpose. So what for do you internet do? founders who wanted to get out of things and then you give them your contract and everything, like what you agreed to and exactly what the terms were and what you can and can't do. And then they try to design a way for you to hedge without violating the terms of any of that stuff. You know, I mean, even in cases where you can't hedge your own stock through some sort of derivative, there might be other things that you could do that could have a similar effect, you know, like what? Well, using hedges of things that seem correlated to yeah, it. Uh-huh. So if you know that Go you're market an just... eyeballs-based internet company that doesn't have any real profit or anything like that, you maybe you could find others that you could then be short in some way um, to make money off of it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and then you could do things that are more complicated than that. 
Yeah, so they... And, you know, maybe it could be in other countries and things like that, too. I believe they shot... I mean, what's interesting is he was really the first to the streaming game. So they were doing, like, right. college basketball games. There was just sports in general and then earnings conference calls. And, you know, right. so this was before YouTube and stuff like that, too. So they were kind of, like, the first to do it. But I believe Yahoo ended up shutting it down. Like, it wasn't a successful acquisition for them. It's so fascinating to me because, it actually, if you look at, like, on Sharks... And this is no digs at Mark Cuban. He does a lot for Dallas. Uh, yeah. I'm a Mark Cuban fan. I just want to give that out there. Um, yeah, yeah, like Mr. Wonderful, for example. Have you read about his background? No. I mean, so he I've had never a, seen this a show. company that's... Oh, so, really? Yeah, no. What a, that's a good show. I think <laughs> yeah? you'd like it. Yeah, okay. yeah. They're little micro caps. They're nano caps out there. <laughs> All right. Um, you know, he sold his company to Mattel. Uh-huh. And I believe that they ended up, again closing that down like two or three years later there was like fraud allegations and oh. they it got voted like one of the worst acquisitions ever it's it's yeah. definitely up there uh, to be fair to people i do want to point out that if it's one of the worst acquisitions ever from the side acquiring then it may have been a very Facts. good side from yours very that doesn't true. mean the business was good so maybe it means that you're not very good at doing business yeah, but, but it should mean you're pretty good at selling i can't remember the exact details i don't want to like say it if i'm wrong especially with fraud allegations but i thought it was like channel stuff there's some weird stuff google it i haven't read it in a while uh but i did find and that to be interesting fair, channel stuffing that could be either way it could Correct. be the seller was doing it or the choir was insisting on it Correct. you know so so i don't know i just thought i found that interesting when you look at um you know like cuban with his company but i mean he's he's very successful obviously so and it was the product of the times too right i mean what well, was a smart thing to do then of course yeah. it was i think and, and he deliberately collared off his position i mean hey if you could sell your business that's that was burning one. 11 and a half million for two and a half billion <laughs> wouldn't do that that right? was one of the biggest regrets <laughs> of um malone and of turner both Ted Turner and John Malone, that they, you know, took stock in an organization that they couldn't control. That's right. And they either were actually banned from or felt they couldn't sell stock and things like that. Yeah. What do you think that would be like um, not working for the company that you started? That'd be odd. Yeah. Well, I've read lots of books now, so I know of lots they all of say odd it. situations. Yeah. I like reading about the ones where the people keep coming in to work and they have no position there and they have a secretary and everything and they can't actually do anything but yeah yeah there's some awkward ones i'm reading the book on olympus which is a scandal in japan i don't know if you remember that one so that one has a lot of that awkwardness in it oh really yeah yeah but to you know whatever making a billion dollars probably help you get over that very quickly he actually did, said that one time on a shark tank episode I think he, someone was about to sell their business and they were having second thoughts about it, understandably. And Mark was like, when I sold my business for two point whatever billion dollars, I was sad for about 10 seconds. Yeah. Now, interestingly, on an internet one, I know someone else who was offered a lot of shares in a company that was about to probably go under and they were trying to save a lot of money. And so they're getting rid of some top people. And I think he was running HR for them at the time. And uh, they said, we can pay you in cash this amount, or we can give you like all these shares, uh, which have the same value in cash basically at the time. Um, it was actually options, but the same sort of effect. So um, he took the cash and I've seen the company because it's still public to this day. And he would have become an incredibly rich person just because they happened the when they were slashing all of corporate and then survived happened to be this incredibly low stock price on it, but it was a high flying stock that dropped almost all the way down. Oof. And then if those people who had been forced out mm-hmm. had just taken uh, options that they would have gotten instead, 
um, then, you know, they weirdly, the people that in essence, the people who they felt they should fire would have come out ahead with a lot of money because of when they had to do it. Right. They were firing people because they needed to keep the lights on. Mm -hmm. So what do you do then? I mean, so like GameStop, right? And this is what I want to bring up. And it's the top story. GameStop CEO, George Sherman is stepping down, sending the stock soaring. I mean, so that means after a certain point, he's going to be able to sell a stock. Well, that was a strategy in the uh, com thing. It was to create lists of stocks that uh, with the dates of when the lockups were coming off so the insiders could get out or other major shareholders like, you know, VC type stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, so not to actually short those stocks because that would be dangerous, but to specifically bet on them declining in price over short periods of time around the time when they could get out. Yeah, I mean, Coinbase went public last week and a lot of people were complaining because the CEO sold $200 million worth of stock or $300 million worth of stock on the first day. Mm-hmm. It's like 2% of his whole holdings. I'm like, I think that's probably prudent uh, wealth management for him. And that's what they always say. It's, I'm doing this uh, because it's, you know, yeah. uh, prudent. Uh, because Not I, because I have to diversify, diversify my holdings. Yeah. Because I've been advised to do that. Yeah. Which, which makes sense. But on the other hand, they don't mention that, oh, I have, you know, if you sell a few percent of something, 1% of something or whatever, um, if you lose everything, you're still going to have a few million dollars left over. Mm-hmm. That might, that, you know, it won't change. I mean, it'll change your lifestyle. You won't be a hundred millionaire. You'll be a millionaire, but uh, it doesn't take much to sell that you could have 99% of your net worth in something and that be prudent for someone who's, you know, has that kind of wealth. Mm-hmm. It's different than advising someone, you know, that your average person. I don't think they need the same diversification advice. Yeah. They still would be left with millions of dollars if yeah. they went 99-1. Yeah. You, you lose 50%. You still got 100 million. You're okay. Um, yeah, I mean, Bill Ackman. Scared that, yeah. I was going to say, Bill Ackman once said, because a lot of people in our industry, they're always talking like, oh, you should be the largest investor in your fund and blah, blah, blah. Or have all your net worth tied up in the fund. Everyone has different opinions on it. Bill Ackman, I remember he said once that he doesn't think you should have 100% of your net worth in your fund um, but you should probably be the largest investor or have a significant portion of your net worth invest in your fund. And he said that he thinks it'll allow you to actually act more rationally. Um, it might be true. I mean, I don't think it actually makes much of a difference as much as people think because the capitalized value of your income on a hedge fund percentage like he's getting is so huge compared to how much you'd have in the fund generally, unless you've ha- been in for a very long time and unless you're close to investors, that it, it just doesn't make sense. So, I mean, you still have that same, he'd be, he might be too willing to take risks or however you want to put it because he'd be able to get so much money off mm-hmm. of that, right? So let's say, you know, if he's getting um, 20% of profits and they're making $100 million a year, he's making $20 million. If he feels he can keep his fund doing that, and all that, then that's the same as having a stake that's over $200 million. Mm-hmm. You might not be able to sell it to someone for that, but like the capitalized amount of it is so huge. Yeah. That's why I always, when you have those ones where people say they, oh, isn't it great? The CEO owns five times the salary. It's okay. But, um, I mean, that's, that's really good. But when you're talking about, you know, founders, people who could be in there for a long time and everything, uh, the actual value of their, of their salary, you, you know, the capitalized value um, would be significantly higher than the value of the stock, mm-hmm. you know? So I don't think it's necessarily a problem to own some stock, but, um, it's very different than someone who owns a lot and is tied up to it. I just think with the hedge fund things and stuff, like he's associated with it. 
Yeah. It's a huge part of his income, his reputation. So I think there's all these other incentives. More, yeah, yeah, I think there's all these other incentives of why he might manage it too aggressively or too conservatively that have to do with things like that, that he's kind of a public figure and reputation risks and all that kind of stuff, more so than just maximizing wealth about mm-hmm. him having stuff in other um, assets. Yeah, that'd be my feeling. He was an early investor in a company in South Korea that recently went public and he donated 100% of his shares to charity. I was surprised that I didn't hear more people talking about it. It's like 1.6 billion. Oh. I mean, that's gotta be, yeah, that, that's huge. You just did that a couple couple weeks ago. Um, so more on the times right now, Dogecoin is at 35 cents. So this cryptocurrency that really started as a meme, as a joke, uh-huh. is at 35 cents. Are we going to look back one day and just say, what was going on? Of course, things were going to crack or people were going to get hurt. I mean, isn't this crazy? Everything that's going on? Yeah. Is it surprising? Mm. I mean, yeah, the individual things that are happening I mean, are the surprising. But... Like Persona is really taking over. People, I think anyone investing in Dogecoin, they don't think it's going to become the next Bitcoin. It's just to be part of the fun. Yeah. Um, there's a, what is the book that I was going to recommend to you that might help with this kind of thing? Um, devil of our own design. I think it's what it's called. Hmm. It's mostly about risk management in wall street firms and things like that, trading desks and things like that. But it does discuss some things about bubbles, how they could form simulations of why bubbles would happen. And just if people who are doing something that doesn't make much sense, start to make more money you could have a bubble is the theory behind one of the simulations because they would end up with more money. The other people would end up with less money. People with less money wouldn't be willing to participate in the market. The people with, who are making more money would keep making bets on the things that was making them the money in the first place. And so you could have it replicating in a sense strategies that are bad, but doing it, just copying the short term thing that was working for a while. And it could make something look like a bubble um, happening. Mm-hmm. So it could that mm-hmm. could definitely happen. Um, yeah, it's 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 crazy right now. I, did, I find it more interesting that it's covered by everyone else. Yeah, it's because right? it gets the clicks, gets the views. I guess so, but like, how did it happen in the beginning that way? If you and I did seven podcasts a week about Bitcoin, Dogecoin, Tesla, everything like that, the podcast would be 10 times bigger. Yeah. Like Munger says, only the cultists come here. Yeah. I try to not even read things and stuff about, um, uh, the blockchain stuff because I've had to, for certain things, you know, we talked about uh, title insurance stuff. So I looked into that cause it does seem like a logical thing, not, not the currencies we're talking about, but use of the blockchain for the something technology. like the technology for, uh, in place of something like that. Although I'm not still, I'm not sure the, the thing with, all that that confuses me is in many cases I don't understand the applications. No, it's because like it's usually use a trusted intermediary for most of the things they're talking about, and it's kind of not a problem. Well, that's but that's what they're trying to take away, correct? Which makes sense, but only what maybe two percent of GDP is like truly, truly hardcore illegal activity, right? So you take th- that part of it. I mean, how much tax evasion and stuff can there be? That can't be that big in a country like the United States. Um, we're, we're adding up to only a few percent. I mean, the amount of the currency that you would need and stuff for things like that, for stuff that wouldn't trust banks and institutions like that, seems odd. 
Because like if you don't trust somebody, you just get someone else in between. There's different ways of doing this, sure, whether yeah. it's doing by posting collateral, by doing escrow, by doing letters of um, credit and things like that. I mean, there's just a lot of, you don't have, you can do business with someone that you don't trust through different ways where you'll feel protected mm -hmm. by institutions that will live up to their reputation. And so you'll be safe in those kinds of situations. And people have been doing that for basically ever. I was talking to somebody this past weekend about NFTs. Okay. And it was like two <laughs> sentences and I'm like, all right, here you are. You're already using the buzzwords, please. <laughs> like a yeah. five-year-old, no buzzwords. You start talking now I don't even think you understand. Now I don't even think you understand what you're talking about. I don't know how to talk about many of these things without the sort of narrative of whatever's being talked about, about what it is and why you would use it. Right. So that's the part that I find difficult is like trying to really figure out, okay, so what are these, um, you know, when people talk about cryptocurrencies and stuff, there's other issues with the cryptocurrencies that are kind of complicated. I don't understand some stuff about how some of it is, um, they call the fed calls them crypto assets because they're not really a they're currency. Not, exactly. Yeah. So they're not currency. So that's one of the interesting parts about it is it doesn't seem to me from reading some literal language and some stuff that that's exactly currency or it, it seems like it's, um, similar to certain banking things that used to happen in like the 1800s. But the problem would be if people started to believe that some, um, how do I put this? Some institutions don't really have sufficient backing um, in true currency or what they're backing is not truly currency. Let's put it that way. Uh, they have uh, currency in the sense of like dollars or when I'm saying currency, I mean dollars, euros, yen, things like that. But if they don't, then how do you smoothly move back and forth between those things? Um, so that's another part of it I don't get. Yeah, well, if people want Bitcoin to be a currency... Like we the, can see the Fed's balance sheet. The ten percent moves have to stop. Could you imagine if the U.S. dollar was like that, moving, you know, dropping ten percent in a day up? Well, it's certainly not currency. Yeah, but yeah, that's right. what people are going for. Um, no, it, I mean, yeah, crypto assets. But yeah, but definitions of what currency. I mean, I don't know that I would agree with the Fed in their determination of what currency is. The Fed just changes definition of currency, and one just changes years. Yeah, the person I was talking about NFTs was talking about having like blank canvases in your house that you just like put these things up on, apparently. Yeah, I think that's like um, Amazon Fire does that <laughs> yeah. and things like that, right? They just mm -hmm. rotate uh, different yeah, yeah, stuff yeah, yeah, so you don't own it. Well, I, but you don't own it. Um, yeah, that of course I don't understand because I don't, you know, that puts in questions of ownership stuff, right? I don't know what ownership means if you can't deny use to other people, right? Mm -hmm. It's not clear to me. But I don't know. It's sort of like the SPAC thing. Everyone assumes that SPACs aren't, aren't IPOs. But I'm not sure that that's been legally settled. Mm -hmm. You know? Uh, I, every article I read about SPACs always says that they have more relaxed rules and stuff, are more permissive of making projections than IPOs. But I don't know, you know, people who are listening to this know better if there have been court cases that have actually involved the definition of uh, IPO and going public and what that safe harbor means because I'm not sure it's different but we'll see if it is or not mm -hmm. you know um, so somebody actually sent in a question about um, tobacco stocks and I thought it was incredibly timely because in the Wall Street Journal yesterday um, uh, news came out that the Biden administration is considering 
a rule to cut nicotine in cigarettes. Make oh, no, to, to less reduce addictive, nicotine yeah, to, to below the threshold that should be addictive. Or to, or they could, uh, they also, I'm talking about the menthol thing. Yeah. The flavor thing, yeah. Um, Somebody sent in a, uh, a DM. Hi, Andrew, great podcast. Do you mind if I ask a question? Question mark. Mm-hmm. A while back, Jeff was briefly negative on tobacco stocks, but didn't really elaborate on why he was pessimistic towards them. Optically, they are cheap and having strong cash flows, etc. Notably, growth isn't that great, but hasn't been too shabby either. Would you mind elaborating or maybe going into a bit more depth on the podcast? Uh, yeah, sure. So we could talk about Philip Morris, MO, uh, British Tobacco Company, I believe is that what it is. So what are your thoughts on, and I just thought it was timely because the Biden administration came out and said that they're thinking about disrupting the tobacco industry. Yeah. Does that mean alcohol is next? No. Uh, people are very pro-alcohol and marijuana and very anti-tobacco um, and yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not actually nicotine that kills people. No, the important thing is nicotine is the addictive uh, part of it. Sure. Yes. So the reason why people, uh, cigarettes is obviously that you're, you know, inhaling into your lungs and that it has chemicals and things like that. But it's, that's the damaging part of it. But the nicotine is the... Um, addictive part of it so it'd be like requiring decaf coffee mm-hmm. um now that wouldn't eliminate coffee usage and it won't eliminate cigarette usage uh there's there's already plenty of other ways of getting nicotine and people don't adopt it and i know lots of people who've tried to get off of cigarettes by using other products that are much much safer now part of the reason for that is government stuff that kind of i think blurs the lines by putting all tobacco things kind of similarly and I don't know. I mean, I think that's something that big tobacco, big cigarette manufacturers are probably kind of in favor. And that very so, and also that people who are um, are anti tobacco are also in favor. So you have this weird thing where a lot of the regulations and stuff that you have about language on things is probably a combination of it benefits Philip Morris. They feel, hmm. and it also uh, seems to be anti tobacco. So you can pass a lot of stuff that. Philip Morris likes that also seems to be against tobacco stuff. So for instance, like, you know, pushing, like not making it sound like smokeless things and stuff are a lot safer than cigarettes. Cigarettes are substantially more dangerous than other ways of getting nicotine. Um, But there's some confusion on that because of warning labels, the government puts on packaging and stuff, which are true that it's not uh, completely safe, you know? Um, But it would kind of be like saying a vaccine is not completely effective. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> we we don't want to put that out there. Like that's not saying don't do it. Yeah. Um. And it's not saying you shouldn't switch from using it to something else. So um. I mean, my feelings are like on the tobacco stuff. I guess maybe be careful with tobacco companies that are smaller. Um. Because whatever's created will probably be created between Philip Morris and people in the government. Like their lobbying power and stuff is very substantial. And so I would imagine that. It will that whatever rules happen and stuff gets drafted in different countries around the world will be things that benefit them, mm-hmm. which could be whether it's stuff on heat, not burn things or whatever, and more harmful to smaller companies that might not have those um, abilities to invest a lot in different things or might own more of other tobacco products. I mean, if they're going to limit the nicotine or, or bring it mm-hmm. down to less addictive levels, what does that do to e-cigarettes and Juul and everything like that? Oh, well, I don't know that those are, you know, going to be significant. They did a pretty good job of making that not uh, happen, uh, the government and other people. Um, so, What do you mean? 
uh, of not having widespread adoption of things like e-cigarettes and stuff. I don't think we'll see much of any of that in the future in the U.S. So any thoughts on the tobacco industry in general? It's very cheap, potentially. Yeah, and some are a lot cheaper than others. I, I mean, I'd be, a good I've looked at some of them uh, before just because I was kind of interested in some people involved in them and stuff. Um, but... It's not something that I think I would invest in. Um, they're pretty, they're generally pretty heavily levered. Um, and they are in a business that, you know, isn't growing volume over time and all that and is very susceptible to regulation. And the societal shift is so big in terms of people being willing to have a lot of regulation of it that you have a problem that way. You know, like I was saying, you've had a big shift in positive feelings about marijuana and to, to some extent alcohol over time. And definitely a negative shift towards tobacco. Mm -hmm. It's such a small group of people who smoke versus the general population, everything that, it, I mean, if you're going to do it, you do it on the basis of lobbying power. I mean, that's what it matters. Mm -hmm. So you got to figure out who do you think has the ability to have things drafted the way they want and who's at risk in different things because they'll, you know, entire groups of companies that focus on certain things could be much more at risk. Um, depending on how stuff's created, because whatever will be passed in these different things from the government will be whatever is sort of acceptable enough to some groups uh, in the industry, to some businesses, that also is very anti-tobacco, right? So mm -hmm. it's got to be a big anti-tobacco bill, but it's specifically designed in such a way that it's not so harmful to whoever is the biggest market share and things like that. So any regulation tends to be sort of anti-competitive that way in an industry like this. So it probably pushes down competition and probably benefits those companies who most can decide how legislation gets written. I mean, look at the gross profits on this company, British American Tobacco, 83%. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just insane. Crazy. And of course, you know, um, the big companies came out and immediately said that, you know, you're going to hurt all the farmers and <laughs> all the people that are in the tobacco business, right, which obviously which is true. Is true. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, the tobacco, the, that's a big deal. So a lot of it's obviously grown for cigarettes. You also have uh, actually some is grown um, for marijuana. People remove the um, inside product and use the outer wrapper. Um, so that's also, in, that's grown in the U.S., tobacco farmers in the U.S. There's tobacco farmed in other countries too. But I'd say that's the two biggest uses. It's, it depends on the state, but in some states it's huge. Yeah. And I know, so, you know, that is a question whether you would be able to keep, um, you know, government stuff, whether you would actually be able to get votes from certain people in certain states. Uh, that would be hard, you know, if you're in North Carolina or Virginia or wherever. Um, and there's tobacco growing in other places, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, and places like that. But um, yeah. There, there, it'd be complex, mm -hmm. and there would be complex from different legal things too. Um, but it's just, I don't. I mean, if you look at the prices of the stocks, I don't find them that attractive. I mean, we could go look at Philip Morris at a uh, Altria, at Altria, not Philip Morris. We don't because this will be the one that's affected domestically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because Philip Morris does not right in the United States. Yeah. So five and a half times sales, um, and you have operating margins, you know, that look like your uh, payment processor or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was um, saying the, the profile well, of there's the no, there's no competition in the industry because you banned advertising, basically. 
Um, so whoever already had shelf space then gained at that time. It kind of froze in time, whoever the leaders were that way. Th- then there's, we get into the litigation stuff, but you can read about in the 10Ks, the different companies, because the way that the agreements worked with the attorneys generals and stuff, it, it's kind of difficult. Um, it, it's based on market share stuff from, from back then. Um, it pays a big dividend. So people like that part of it. There are other ones too. Vector pays a, which I think is Liggett, um, pays a good, um, dividend. And is also involved in other things like real estate and stuff like that. Um, and is run sort of like a private equity type thing that way. So, but you know, you are paying normal type levels of to free cash flow. And now they're saying that they're going to make the product not addictive. Um, yeah. Which is interesting. And, and then but the, they're not going to limit the amount of cigarettes in a carton. So now well, I'm just going to have like... And it's also very... And of course, do state governments like this? <laughs> because if you succeed in making it not addictive, then that's obviously extremely bad for revenue. That just means you're just going to smoke three and one. Three right. at the same time. But like a lot of governments now, it's a positive for them, the amount of smoking going on in their state because of how much money you're getting on, in taxes. Mm-hmm. Right? This isn't like some things we talk about where there's taxes against something, but it's such a small portion of the... Um, economy that doesn't matter this is big enough that th- this is a it's a heavily taxed area so um it, it you know it's meaningful mm-hmm. it's kind of like you know if gasoline use goes away then your gasoline tax doesn't accomplish anything yeah so you gotta find some <laughs> other way to to fund um, road stuff same thing here it, it you know for some states it would be a big deal right mm-hmm. so i don't know if they'll be for it you know Interesting. Let's talk about Chevron Corporation. We have a question that says, any thoughts on Buffett's recent purchase of CVX? I'm guessing that at 1.5 times price to book, he is calling it a bottom in oil or a general inflation play given the company's leverage to oil prices and how bad the most of the metrics have been for the last three to five years. wonder if there's also thought of a Chevron and Exxon merger which has reportedly been discussed per QuickFS, you need to go back to 2013 to find a point when the company looked respectable and also guessing given the industry, this was one of Buffett's calls. Not trying to turn this into a climate issue as I feel uh, death of fossil fuels is overplayed by the media, but basically asking about <laughs> Chevron's uh, or Buffett's purchase in Chevron. Any thoughts on that? Right. Um, no, I don't have a view on that. Buffett's invested in oil companies before. Sometimes I've been surprised by that. Um, but he needs very big investments. So it makes sense. Or um, th- yeah, very big companies. Um, so Exxon, Chevron, those are some of the only companies that fit in that um, category of being big enough and being cheap, right? There's very, very few cheap stocks. Um, I have no view on oil and it's hard for me to come up with a view in the long run on it because obviously it's significant in terms of use by cars right now. And if that goes away, it's hard to make predictions about electricity over time and everything. So if you actually go by what people are predicting and what people are saying they will have made and everything in terms of electric cars, um, that makes a big difference to oil um, over time. Uh, But it's hard to say what difference it makes because it also makes huge differences to electricity and things like that. Mm -hmm. And then also before that happens, you'd have differences and you'd have changes already in in exploration activity and and all that. So it's, yeah, it's too complicated for me. I mean, you have the lowest cost producers and stuff are literally a cartel um, that you have that can control prices. That way you have a lot of government uh, involvement in sponsoring things that might reduce the demand for it. But then you also have offsetting things about where do you get the energy that you need for other things. And uh, you already have a lot of infrastructure in place that'd be used for something. 
So it's very complicated. And I don't know the answer to it. It's way too hard for me to figure out an oil company. And what do you think about an oil company? How would you figure it out? Same way, same camp. Ten foot yeah. hurdle. Ten I foot mentioned hurdle. an oil company before. You know, I mentioned that there were there was an oil company that I looked at and the warrants and all that. Um, but that is over a fairly short period of time. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking way before 2030 that all that production will be turned into cash. So, yeah, that's uh, not a two foot hurdle, I would say. Um, this was a good question. I think this would a lot of people would be interested in this because a lot of people like um, process oriented questions and stuff. Um, you said if Jeff were to hire an analyst, what would the analyst's average day look like? So if you had to map it out. Well, here's the problem. I wouldn't hire an analyst to do what I do. I know. Well, I'm saying hypothetical. Oh, true. No, no, true. no. So that's what I mean. So I, the answer that I give you won't be an answer of what I do. Um, no, I would have a, a list of stuff that I have questions that I want to answer by, you know, whether it's contacting people or gathering certain sources and things like that. I usually have a pretty good idea of exactly what information I need and then an idea of where the information might be. And then it's just a question of ferreting out that information. Mm-hmm. So that's what it would really be, which unfortunately is not what people are hoping for with like a financial analyst. What it would be is um, scuttlebutt type stuff is what we're really talking about. Um, Cause I don't need anything on public uh, filings of things, but I always have a list of questions that I need answered or want answered or are curious about. And sometimes you can't find out those, um, you know, you just have an idea of where those sources might be mm-hmm. that they could exist. I mean, you've tracked down things before about like what company someone used to work for and are there stuff that they have information and then you found it, you know, that kind of thing. Like articles on different valuations, things like that. Sure. So like once, if you know information about something, then tracking it down, I was talking with someone about an insurance thing and stuff. And so it was like tracking down actually stuff about, well, what real, like, you know, trying to get an idea of what's really the policy things um, that you would see. So if you, so an analyst might be, going and filling stuff out to get a quote uh <laughs> acting like a customer for things like that it could be going and finding information about um actual like disputes so like what legal things were there a dispute between the insurer and other people about stuff and from that you could gather what they're really doing right mm-hmm. um so little things like that like i have a ton of questions and then it's a question of like finding out that those things through scuttlebutt i would say then what about yourself well, myself, it does a lot more of reading of 10Ks and things. Buffett's talked about this where he's like, well, I used to do a ton of scuttlebutt and everything. And now I realize how much like now that I've done so much of that, I can get so much out of things like the public filings, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I would say a lot of my time is more of that initial stuff. That's probably not the best way to spend it. It would be better if I spent more time on going deeper on a few ideas. Um, so is it just getting looking for the ideas where you can go deep on them? Yeah, I always say in a perfect world, I wish, you know, like, so it's like if you run a screen or you're sifting through ideas or whatever, I wish I had a list of, you know, 20 names. Where I'm like, all right, these are something that you could re- really be interested in. Right. That's the problem. Yeah. No, the problem is the never lack of, those. of that, right? Yeah. But that's the problem is that the lack of those that you want to go further on. And I mentioned that usually the um, there's something that's interesting enough. So I would probably if I had an analyst he would probably hunt down more things I was unsure of, but there was something very interesting about it, right? So it could be something like, I don't understand this or I don't like something about this, but it looks really, really cheap, right? So I mentioned like the warrants and some oil company, right? It's like, I just did the math and said, wow, that looks cheap, that oil company, but I don't know enough about oil and stuff. But I look and I go, well, it's probably pretty simple. Um, so then get some answers on this, you know? Or I like this company, 
this happens sometimes. I like this company. I like everything I'm reading and I think I understand about it, but I don't know if I like management. I can't find anything out about management. And, you know, maybe it's something where that's really important or there's really good um, numbers at this bank and everything. It's growing fast and it's posting all of these good numbers and all that. But can they really create this many loans and be doing all of this and have a, a way of doing that where they're also um, have a handle on everything. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of scuttlebutt that you could probably figure out. Instead, what I have to do in this case is kind of guess, find out judgments on things and then pass on stuff that could be interesting, but that has some sort of potential red flag. It isn't even actually a red flag. It's just, I can't disprove that there could be something extremely high risk here. Right. And sometimes a scuttlebutt, you can resolve that. Mm-hmm. There are some companies where it's like, if I just could visit the place, if I could just could, talk to the management um that would resolve it now most companies there's not you know like a chevron doesn't help you you can talk to management all you want that's not the key problem <laughs> you're not gonna right? even get to management to be yeah. investor relations but it, but chevron could they could chevron altria could sit down for you and uh, that would be a big deal right if they sat down with you and talked with you for half a day but the truth is it's useless like because that's kind of the information you already have with these giant companies that mm-hmm. way um but for something like, you know, like like a small bank or something, then it could be really important um, to talk with management. If I feel like I think I understand it, but I'm not sure, and then things get explained, and I'm like, then I do understand it. Even things that aren't in the annual reports or the filings, like the culture at the bank, stuff like that. Right. It's yeah. smaller so companies So if, if your main concern is something like, it's very specific that way, right? So it's like, I'm concerned about loan quality in this category because they've made so many loans in these years or whatever. And then like you get more feel of what was going on there. Um, And it also could be, oh, we bought a bunch of loans from some bank that we know in those years because we had to, you know, do that. Um, Then you'd be like, oh, I'm worried, you know. Uh, But those sorts of things are pretty easy to figure out. Mm -hmm. And instead I'm going by guesses, you know, from the 10Ks and things. So like I said, when someone asked me about a particular bank, you know, I looked into it and everything, and I'm just highlighting these words. Okay, these are, they're participating in these loans and all of this stuff. You know, here's how it's getting sourced and whatever from my guesses from what they're saying. Here's how quickly it was growing. Here's how much in these years. You know, it's just, it's very, it's like, could they be doing this right? Maybe, but they're kind of, if so, what they're managing in an orderly way is way more difficult than any other banks that I'm looking at in terms mm-hmm. of like how fast they're growing and how and how much new stuff they're doing all the time. But that's like scuttlebutt things. I mean, that's probably stuff that you could ask around and you could get a really good idea if these people are crazy or not, you know? Because sometimes the, the, the talk would be these people are crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? And Wall Street might not know that all the time, you know? But people in the area, you can see what cities that they're doing lending in and stuff might be like, oh yeah, they have a reputation for being insane. Yeah. Um. <laughs> you know yeah. or and, and there are lots of or whether people are honest or something i mean there's plenty of things we've um especially microcap things you find that so like we said one time that we visited real estate things and stuff like i wanted to see specific land that there was because this company was selling an absurd valuation relative to the land um it just book value and then the land was probably maybe even worth more than that but it was control company and management you know could be it, you know, any sort of thing that you don't like about management stuff, there's no indications I would like management or what they were doing or anything. But it could be resolved very easily if it happened that you could talk to management and management 
seemed actually reasonable. I mean, mm. as long as it seemed anything other than totally unreasonable and and not caring at all about shareholder value and stuff, then you would say, okay, I'll buy that. Yeah. I say that all the time to people with Japanese things where I say, I'm sorry, I have to pass because the problem is I need certain information of such a detailed nature on stuff like financials. I basically can't invest in Japanese financials because I, even though if they put it all in English for me, even if someone translated it all for me, I actually can't get across the specific things that I need to understand. And so there was stuff that was like, well, the accounting's a little different, the regulation's a little different, and things like that. And so when I'm looking at it, if you change the insurance regulations, if you change the accounting, and if it's in Japanese and I'm getting secondhand in English, then I can't really understand something fundamental about what they're doing and I'll misinterpret it, mm-hmm. right? And so like some, that's the kind of thing that can be figured out kind of like an investigative reporter thing. So if I had an analyst, that's what it would be, is that sort of thing about here's very specific things you need to figure out. Because I'll be like, in that case, it was like this loss ratio is way too low. So how are they writing premiums this expensive and losing this little? Is something not here, like here are my guesses, is something not included in here differently than in the U.S.? Or is there some reason why the, in this industry you you price that high and like it's not competitive in that way? It's like these are things that on the ground could probably be figured out, mm-hmm. but are really hard to do otherwise. So, so I more just go on a bunch of, you've seen 10Ks and things I have, like circling a bunch of stuff like this is an anomaly. What is this? What are my guesses of what this might be? Mm-hmm. Uh, why is it so strange, right? Why is this thing off the charts one way or another? And it can be good things. Like, why is it off the charts that this business is so efficient? Um, why is it off the charts that, you know, how can their expenses be this low? And, and that's a good way to learn about a business too, by the way. Right, then you go and investigate and it could be a yeah, great thing. Yeah, and you go and investigate. And sometimes you investigate and it's like, oh, because the people are running it, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes you can figure that out. Or you can see it and be like, oh, I believe it, you know? Um, but for the example, for the real estate thing, right? We saw something where like, oh yeah, I could believe that that was X million in CapEx. Cause like, wow. Yeah, it's nice. You know, and, and, um, I mean, irrational, but mm-hmm. nice. Yeah. So that was the question is like, then you need to talk to management because the, it's like my the, own, my things own. are in great shape and whatever, but it, it, there's no logic to how the capital allocation like is my happening. personal country club. Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, you have all those in each case is different, right? Yeah. Where sometimes you can analyze a business from the outside and feel like you, understand it fairly well and you don't need that additional information Mm -hmm. um although a huge part of that is background you can bring from the industry and you don't realize how much you're doing of that comparing it to things like what i was saying with the insurer thing is i'm like benchmarking to other things i've looked at so i'm like look these lost things are lower than some warranty companies and stuff have for like you know like this front door and those home serve and stuff that do these in the um they, you know, you add on to like your appliances and things, the cost of labor yes. basically to be insured on your bills. And, um, people probably seen ones like that. What's it called? American home. Uh, that was a spinoff, right? We yeah. But what that. did they sell under? Like what would people know? American is the actual, shield? is it home shield? Something like that. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, and there's one in the UK that's similar and, and that one would be the one people are most familiar with. You can look up front door. Uh, yeah. FTDR type that in and we'll see yeah, what I mean. I thought it was American home shield. Anyway, there's certain reasons why you could have a fairly low loss ratio in this. Yeah, American um, Home Shield. American Home Shield. In this business, because I thought you could have certain things that would lower your costs even, right? Because you could utilize someone, you could insure someone to get more of their time spent fixing things Mm -hmm. than otherwise. And so in a sense, you could have lower costs. So the actual numbers reported to me are lower. So it's it's a special example. Usually insurers don't really 
have um, much lower costs. So it's mostly a matter of how high you're pricing your premiums versus your loss. In some industries, there can't be any way that their losses are lower. Um, but uh, so like I was looking at something where I'm like, this is even lower than that. So they're pricing it really high. So I don't know. So you compare it to different things is what I mean. And maybe mm. other people wouldn't have all these um, comparisons to draw. Because so like if I'm looking at one thing, I'm looking at, okay, well, here are these four or five other insurers and what would their levels be? And so how reasonable is that? That That's learning in general, though, right? The more you learn, the more it's easy to pick up on other things because your brain just works on like that framework and you're pulling ideas from something that you are familiar with or reminds you of this situation. Right, right. So if you, but if you had an analyst in a sense, the analyst doesn't need to know all that. They just answer the just question. Know, I don't understand how the loss ratio can be this low. Go around and like ask people. How can the loss ratio be this low? Why is that? Just, I'm confused. Why is the, you know, just like an investigative reporter is, you know, you act like, oh, please enlighten me. You're, you're a genius and I'm stupid about this and stuff. And they'll start talking and the information will come out, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. Um, people are often happy to explain sorts of things about the business and whatever. And you can, then when you bring that back, that information, you can really have stuff that's helpful in understanding the business. So that's true a lot of times. Like a lot of times a stock looks interesting. Um... Or looks cheap, but then there's this question that I need answered that's hard to answer. And it has been hard for a lot of other people too sometimes. So like there's some stocks where everyone is kind of thinking the same thing. Like I can't just get the answer to this, you know? Um, and so you have to go for, through other things to try to figure it out. I mentioned, you know, and then you have to make guesses on that. And sometimes you read enough stuff that you think you can make the guess. So like I mentioned, I bought George Risk as a net net and I thought I could make the guess that they had some... Uh, pricing power there you know that if volumes declined a lot they wouldn't have to um they'd be able to up their prices a little bit to get their gross margins more in line and that was went into that guess i read a few things i read um an interview thing and some other stuff but the key thing was that their competitors were offshore and had really low cost compared to them and yet they still had really big market share so while well, they had a really, they're a really low part of the business, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the customers using. And so that just suggested there were other factors involved, you know, that you couldn't win the business on price. Do you think there's other signs as well? Like we talking, not to speak too much of, you know, metaphors, I guess you could say, but like, let's say you had a movie theater that was just constantly packed people were constantly complaining about it being well, so yeah, busy. Something's packed. Like, does that it? tell you like there's some on? taps pricing power there yes if you go someplace and they don't have enough product on the shelves or they're full all the time and stuff then yeah there's a pricing problem you yeah. know mm-hmm. yeah and there are things that you can just subtle signs right subtle or, or subtle signs that there's a shortage or, or something <laughs> a shortage or something yeah or obvious yeah. yeah um and and that's stuff that you know analysts can gather that information mm-hmm. i'm sure if there were specific things that you're trying to figure out um but it's more like it seems it's the things that happen are more like you think there's pricing power and you're like, but how is there pricing power? Mm-hmm. It's usually more like that. Like with the George risk example, there were reasons why it looked like they had it, but then you're thinking, but there's a basic product that, you know, how do you really have that? How, how does that work? Um, actually, if you remember the story, Alice Schroeder told it's not in the snowball, but it's the story she tells about the tab card company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually the tab card company thing is very similar in some ways to George risk. So it does help to have that information. Um, and I'd looked at some, eh, I did eventually I did some research on some things that was helpful. 
in those, which is again asking around. Um, so it's a lot of asking around, but just asking people like, what would you buy more of this or what? Like, what if they raise their prices? What would you do? That sounds like we a stupid did it with question. Eastern. I did it with lots of people. Mm-hmm. Did it with uh, I can remember you wrote big about answers it in four Eastern. or five different companies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you do? And it varies. Like some, some were like, well, I use the same amount of the product no matter what because I'm not gonna. It's a small part, and I'm not gonna change whether I make the decision to produce X amount or not. This project's either gonna happen or not, so it they can charge me whatever they want. On the other hand, I'm not gonna pay more for it than the others charge, right? So, but anyway, but getting it, but like that might not seem obvious, but if you have those conditions, pricing is a little better. What you don't want is a situation where if you lower your prices, people will actually buy more because in a competitive industry that encourages everyone to lower their prices. But if you have something like Lime where everyone knows, well, lowering our prices a lot doesn't really help us sell a lot more, then maybe we should all just not lower prices a lot, you know? Mm -hmm. And so those kinds of things help. Whereas if their answer was, oh, I buy a whole lot more, you don't want to hear that, right? So... You know, and you see that in the cycles, right? So like in the past, you would have seen in the financials and then you'd want someone to analyze it. Like, okay, figure that out for me. Why am I seeing this in past cycles, you know? And you've heard, uh, I mean, like when I talk to some CEO or something, we ask about specific gear. Mm-hmm. Make me helpful that what happened. Yeah. Like what happened, like not just what happened, but like, well, what did that, <laughs> how nervous were you in that year? What did that feel like and stuff? Yeah. And, you know, mm-hmm. like when were you at your most nervous? What year was the toughest? Why was it, you know, at the time you wouldn't know the future. So what were you thinking then about what could happen and how bad it could get and everything? And that could give you some insight into like how the business works at least. About and even how they think about their business too. Yeah. Risk and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it, basically like business intelligence stuff that you could gather, I guess. But it, it really is driven around some specific questions. I don't think I would have anyone doing it where it's like a checklist of that, you know. It's not general that way. It's like you found the mysteries i guess the leads i guess you generate the leads and then someone could investigate those to a point would be helpful um that's the part that's always hard is getting the what information sources that's the part that i have the trouble with i know what information i would need to verify this or to make the decision to buy right but who has that information Mm -hmm. and how do i get it that's hard sometimes that can be hard yeah because you could go to dead ends too you do for some things, do a, a lot, lot of things, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so, and with microcap stuff, a lot of times they don't want to tell us about. It. Like, there's just not a lot of communication from the company or something. At bigger companies, it's the reverse. It's like there's a lot of information, but some of it isn't the information that you feel you need. But people keep referring you to the information that they have out there, and it's like, well, yeah, you know, like they'll say they'll report a retention rate, right? And that's not the retention rate I want because I can see how they're calculating. I want like some different information that I feel is important. And they'll every write-up and stuff will repeat the same thing. The same so that's one, what I worry yeah. about the investor presentations, right? Mm-hmm. When I say to people like don't read investor presentations or whatever, it's just because wherever you found the idea, I think they probably read the investor presentation and then wrote up well, based in large part on it. Yeah, yeah. They use a lot of the same language almost, like the same metrics and Which things is like what that. the company wants to tell you. I know. It's a it is interesting how effective it is it could be good depends on the situation can be good i just mean it does show you that a company can have influence on how it's perceived by the um not just like whether it's perceived well or not 
but frame this is how these are the issues we want you to think about well, of course look at these and don't look at others and you know now more than ever there's a lot of ceos i've seen on like clubhouse twitter mm-hmm. they're going on podcasts all sort of things like that which i guess it's great if you want to communicate the story to the market but you know i guess it could kind of create that reflexivity thing yeah what's different about it is like it's almost like you can present it as you would for politics or something right but the media focus on it is different so it's much easier to get your own story out there and like what things you want covered because you're much less likely to get serious investigation of how does this company really work and stuff um until something happens like there's a short side that puts a report and then that draws a lot of attention to it or whatever Mm -hmm. but normally People just report, here's what their earnings were, here's what analysts were looking at, you know, that kind of thing. And they won't say, oh, and here are these people who think, but actually this isn't the way to think about the company or whatever, you know? You don't get a both sides sort of thing. It's not that kind of combative thing. It's a lot easier to put your own uh, spin on things, yeah. Yeah, I was looking at some company that had very different multiples than others, uh, peers. And I thought, in large part, it is how really good they are at communicating mm-hmm. their what how they think they're creating value and basically doing the work for you of like here's what we're worth and everything that was interesting about that is was that the, the investor presentation it shot the stock went way past what they said they're worth so we talk about that so then what do you do that do you take that part out i i don't i, I don't take know. the slide out that I mean, says that we're worth like 30 percent lower than when the market yeah set. in their case i don't know uh, cause they kind of i mean what's worse about that is they kind of laid out how you should calculate it yeah i mean yeah Kind of shoot yourself in the foot doing that. You can. Yeah, I get. I mean, so Berkshire Buffett's kind of said we're don't we wouldn't be buying the stock right now. Sometimes, so there are people who have said that. Mm-hmm. You know that we're pretty expensive. Actually, there are some others uh, that have said that before. Um, very small though. But I remember. I think the CEO of Pool America said that at one point. Is like. That the stock, I mean, years and years ago, it's in some book um, about some guy who goes to different annual meetings. I forget which one. I thought it was Bull America. It could have been a different annual meeting. But he goes to one of the annual meetings and the CEO was like, um, I just don't get why our stock's, you know, <laughs> this expensive, this little company or whatever, you know. Um, so it was one of those. I don't remember which one. But you sure it wasn't a New Jersey deli? No, well, the key there is not communicating anything, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes not saying anything. That's the one I like about some SPACs where now there's, I've read things in real news things that say, like, basically, this company is expected to announce that it's going to merge with this company mm-hmm. according to mar- generally market rumors, basically, is what they're saying, that, like, the that people are bidding this up on the expectation of this is the thing that's yeah. going to be not sourcing who told them this. They're not saying according to sources that this is what's going to be announced. Oh, it just got leaked. Well, but there've been things where it's apparently wasn't true. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, because you know that there's a, um, people can look this up on the SEC stuff. There's like a history of the deal sort of thing, right? So background of any transaction that you have. So yeah. like a merger, things like that. Yeah. So you can eventually look these things up and see at what point they decided to do the deal, how much due diligence there was and who all of that. Who they talked to, who they went through for advice, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. What's interesting what is. What they valued it at. Right. And so if you match those dates off and then Google stuff to see what was being reported, sometimes there was... They were people were thinking that they might merge with this or that, which apparently they weren't thinking about. Otherwise, it should the lawyers would make them put that in there. Mm-hmm. So some of it is just complete speculation about um, 
what's going to happen, you know? That's currently going on with Bill Ackman's spec. Okay. There's a whole Reddit page on it. Yeah. Twitter, anytime he tweets, people always say, Bill, when are you coming out with your announcement? Bill, when are you doing? Watch, I'll show you right now. It's funny. Anytime he tweets. So he tweeted about, um, he's having a, uh, something about internet porn and something with oh, uh, yeah, the okay. payments. Right, yeah. He's, he's, he's got a yeah. crusade against him. Um, let's see. The whole thing. <laughs> Bill, if you merge Inspire Brands with Subway, I'm going to walk into every single franchise. <laughs> oh, and take a dump in the cash register okay um what else we got everyone's just basically harassing him. if you're looking on i don't want to read them harassing okay. him about closing the deal and stuff yeah so this part i didn't expect of the way that the investing world would turn out you asked you know did i expect that there'd be things like bitcoin and whatever stuff kind of because of the dot-com thing you know something like that was going to happen of just bizarre stuff <laughs> but this social stuff I did not, uh, uh, you know, I mentioned before, right? Like, so, uh, you know, the chairman now, I guess he is of GameStop. Mm-hmm. I actually looked a lot into Chewy because I was analyzing PetSmart to do a thing on PetSmart. Yeah. Now, PetSmart was then taken private before I could publish that right up or wait, PetSmart, did that come out? I don't know. So either that came out or that didn't. Is that, that was, Ryan Cohen? Was that his name? Yeah. Yeah. So so we looked a lot into uh, Chewy and like wondering how good it would be at growing and all that. And what's interesting is what the conclusion we came to was like, this is amazing. This entire thing's built up about social media. Like this person is amazing at doing social media stuff. I'm not sure I understand it. I'm looking at stuff. I don't understand it, but just this amazing hype around it and stuff of Chewy. Um and that's what built the whole business and was a way of doing instead of getting the equivalent of how otherwise you have to spend like Geico or Progressive spend on advertising, you could do through all of this social media and just the most impressive uh, social media stuff I'd ever seen. That's the push going forward. These uh, people having their own brands and being able to monetize it differently and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I do think you even look like with podcasting and actors and authors and you know then they have like their instagram page and they're able to sell merch and they're able just to control what they want to do i feel like you're not having to go through agents as much and stuff like that anymore i think that's the push going forward but what's interesting about it's that the creative is, part right what's interesting about that is that th- that is now sort of affecting GameStop, right so you take it a step further mm-hmm. it's not just that that social media stuff affected how customer acquisition at chewy but now it's affecting uh, GameStop as a stock. You know, that it, how a company um, is perceived online and whether it's creating enough buzz and stuff has an effect on its stock price. I like the stock. Yeah. Do you know what that is? What? No. <laughs> that was from when uh, Roaring Kitty, the guy that owns a ton and was on Reddit yeah. and stuff, when he had the congressional hearing and he's just like, yeah, I like the stocks. So and now it's become like a meme. Somebody tweeted, which I thought was so funny. He's like, when I worked at a hedge fund and I had to say why I liked a stock or I'd say the, the KPIs are this, I think it's going to be mm-hmm. this. Here's the blah, 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 blah. Here's this. He's like, nowadays as a private investor, I like the stock. I thought that was funny. Yeah. 
So it's crazy. That, that's the one that's uh, the uh, part of the GameStop thing that's fascinating to me is just that part mm-hmm. the, about the chairman. Yeah. And about the history with Chewy and all that, which is incredibly. Talk about an expensive stock. Chewy. Um, part, owned by, pe- by, part owned by PetSmart. Um, so 20 times sales. Oh, wow. So that's, is it come down a bit? So it's at, let's see, the market cap. Yeah, I think it used to be, I could have sworn the market cap was close to $45 billion at one point. So maybe it's declined somewhat. Unless the data is not good there, I'm not sure. Okay. Anyway, what, so the one that was fascinating to me about that is if you look, the companies like um, market cap and stuff, now it could eventually grow a lot outside the US and North America, right? That could be the expectation of the market. But what I found fascinating is like, because of doing that report on um, PetSmart, uh, you know, the company's market cap at its top, if I was right, that it was a bit higher before. Yeah, there. Mm-hmm. So right there at that top part there, I guess, is when I checked in with it. Um, I think the market cap and the size of the total market for pet food in the U.S. are about the same. So it, was be, it wasn't being valued just at like, it was being valued at about one times addressable mm-hmm. market or whatever you mm-hmm. call it. Except, of course, it could go into other countries, right? Um, so I'm not saying it can't happen. This is one of those fascinating. This is the one I always, when people ask about like Tesla and, and things like that, Chewy is the one I compare it to because it has all this great stuff going for it and everything, but it is similar to Tesla in that it, it, this is a very low gross margin business. So when you have a high uh, price to sales on it, that's the part that's really baffling to me about it, right? So 20%. And it's not like anyone's gross margin has been better than 20% over time in those. Um, it just, it it's, tough to have a high gross margin um and generally like this model is a bit worse than in store usually for that so maybe there's ways they can figure it out but so five times sales if you said that about mastercard well their gross margin is essentially 100 percent of their next sale yeah but you know pet food your next sale it's still about 80 cents on the dollar like your the marginal contribution is still that you're getting 20 cents or something out of the dollar for it because it's the most physical product you can imagine you know, it's the opposite of one of these um, asset light type things that way. Um, it, it just in terms of generating actual profit from that. So if you look at sales, you know, it, it, it looks, um, I guess you could say, okay, well, is that five times sales? But, you know, I would look and say, well, it is at a really high price versus gross profit, which is Zoom Plus. What about that one? Yep, Have you looked Zoom at it recently? Yep. So bit, bit different valuation, right? Mm-hmm. So what's their gross profit? 493 million but 30 percent gross margin uh yeah and they sell some other stuff i should be fair to say that also about um uh chewy is that some of the idea usually from all these businesses is that they'll you'll add on other stuff but it's usually not as um frequently ordered right mm-hmm. as pet food um yeah so it's at let's see yeah, I don't know if all the, if that data is right and stuff, but if it is, then obviously it's a lot cheaper. Um, Look at that EBIT margin. Gross profit basis. Yeah, I think that's their goal, though, yeah. is to have a, it is to basically without reporting earnings. But if you look at that, what that's saying is that the gross profit is, um, fi- is um, 500 million versus market cap of 2.2 billion or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if that's, yeah. That's using the OTC ticker, so I don't know if that's correct. Uh, where does it trade normally? Germany? 
Is that where it is? I don't know what exchange it's on. Yeah, I know it's overseas. Um, so the the, the what I'm saying is that the uh, price to gross profit looks a lot lower. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, on the other hand, what's the growth rate in Shui recently? It's a lot higher than is at Zuplus, I believe. Yeah. So there's your revenue growth the last two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so at uh, Zuplus is like ten to twenty percent in the last few years. Yeah, it was like 20%. And here we're talking, you know, 25%. last year was only 11, right? Oh, yeah, the 10 year yeah. K grand revenue. But yeah, okay. the last couple of years. Yeah, it's, it's like been yeah, maybe 20% or something. But here we're talking about like massively. Yeah. Got it. Cool. I don't even know what to title this podcast. What do, what do I title these podcasts when we go on for like over an hour and talk about so many different topics? Well, these are the free form podcasts that we do, right? Yeah. So timely, less SEO probably. Well, no, actually. Perfect. Dogecoin, Bitcoin, Tesla. I'm just going to go for all the clickbait stuff. So why is... Biden administration banning tobacco. <laughs> Not nicotine. even true. He's looking nicotine. to limit nicotine. We're going to say tobacco. Well, they would have to take the <laughs> nicotine out of the tobacco somehow. I don't know how you yeah. would do that exactly. Um, how long are we going? Look at that, folks. Hour and 12 minutes. What do you think? I wonder the percentage of people that start at the beginning and are with us right now from beginning to well, end. Well, we probably have data on that. We no, no, don't I gotta, have exact, look, we don't have exact data on that, but, uh, well, I guess you would on certain things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the problem is my knowledge of most of these topics is low. I don't understand what the, what no uh, don't tell them that that part doesn't matter some of these uh what the the, of the things that you're talking about bitcoin dogecoin stuff like that yeah Yeah. of course i mean i i understand yeah well what i understand about bitcoin i don't want to talk about um which is that i have some i have some doubts about how the market functions and stuff in terms of actually getting your money into u.s currency and back and forth right so that one i have some concerns about but as an asset, you know, I don't understand. Crypto asset. Crypto asset. As an asset, I don't understand. As a currency, to me, it looks like something that is what, you know, banks did long before regulations, which doesn't necessarily mean that there's sufficient true currency on hand to be able to handle a run. Um, I mean, not just run, being able to smoothly move you in and out of that. But we'll see. I, I don't know how we'll figure out if that does happen, I guess. It'll be a problem that some people will report on if it ever runs into issues. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, I want to thank everybody so much. If you were with us from the beginning and you're still listening to us, we love you. Thank you so much for all the support. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at Focus Compound. Email me, info at focuscompound.com. This is the podcast where we poll questions uh, to answer what is on our listeners' minds. Be sure to go to focuscompound.com and uh, sign up to get access to Jeff's investing write-ups. We do use QuickFS. If you do sign up for QuickFS, tell them you came from Focused Compounding. I want to thank everybody so much for the support. Hit that subscribe button. We'll see you in the next podcast.